See, Brother Beecher, Brother Fisher, Roscoe, Ken. See, we all say to the world, bye-bye. Because our time in the world is like this. Your time in the world is like this. There's a possibility that you, your children, or your grandchildren will see what we're talking about even more so unveiled than what we are seeing today. There's that possibility that you will slip into the tribulation unaware if you are not really in tune with the Word of God. If you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that possibility that your children and your grandchildren will really suffer through the real birth pains of what we're reading about. More so than those names that I've called out in myself because we only have this short period of life. You have this longer period of life. And you don't know if you're 17, 16, 10, 20. You don't know yet what you're going to face in the future. But what we do know is this, is getting worse. Hey. Hey. First house I ever bought, brand new, just about five years old. Only cost $19,000. A brand new car. My first Mustang. Right after graduation. Only cost. What was it? 8000 It wasn't even that. $2,800. $2,800. You can't buy a used piece of junk with four wheels on it for $2,800. And you're talking about homes in the hundreds of thousands. You may may have to make your home out of a doghouse a good size one. You don't know what the future is going to hold to you, hold for you. And the sad part about it for a lot of our young people, they don't care because they think life is going to go what? On and on and on and on. Not understanding what they're going to have to face or go through being unprepared. One of the best models in Boy Scouts, be prepared. Be prepared. One of the best things that is taught in Boy Scouts, be prepared. And as a people who are called Christians, we are so unprepared. For the times in which we are living. John see the souls of the slain under the altar. And this may be in your generation where you will see people really killed for standing up for their faith. Not just told they can't pray. Not just told they can't read the scripture. Not just told that they can't go to church. But really killed if they tried to go to church. Are really killed or put in prison if they have a Bible study. John, it says, he sees the souls of those that were slain. He says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain. The fifth seal is also known how, is about how we should live. Live now on earth. Let me share something with you. Have you ever sat down at a table when there's a fork up here in front of you 
then silverware to the right of you and silverware to the left of you. You ever seen heads begin to turn? You know, any other time, boy, they'd have been and grabbed that. But now they're with a group of people, and guess what? They don't know what to grab first. So they wait until somebody else pick up something, hoping they picked up the right fork or the right spoon or the right thing, and then they follow suit. Let me share something with you. You don't want to wait until you're there to be prepared because you won't turn on a dime. This is the day of preparation. This is the day to get it in your mind, in your heart, that there is an enemy out after your soul. This is the day to get it in your mind and in your heart that your grandchildren... If you're not praying for them, you need to pray for them. Because it's more likely they're going to see more intensity of the Antichrist. They're going to see more and more of what we're reading about. It's how we ought to live now. Go to 2 Timothy 1.12 with me. Because it's so important to catch a couple of things about these individuals who were slain. You just don't die for any cause. You die for a reason. You die for a purpose. Uh, you stand for something. You live for something. And the question is, do you really know what you're standing for? Do you really know what you believe in? Or are you just following a practice of religion of what grandma was, grandpa was, what father was, what mother, mother was? Or have you really made Christianity your own? Your own. So in verse 12 he says, That is why I am suffering. And listen to what Paul says. Paul says, I'm suffering. And he tells us why. I'm suffering. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have what? Believed. How many of you really know what you or who you believe in? You know what you believe in. Because see, those people who John saw whose souls were under the altar, they knew the reason for which they died. Because they knew who they stood for. They knew who they lived for. And they knew who they were dying for. He says, I saw their souls under the altar. And you need to know who you really live for. If you live for self, you're going to die for self. But if you live for Christ, as Paul says, for me to die is to live. He says, I know in whom I believe. See, it's not whether if Elaine believes it or not. I need to know it for who? Yes. It's not about her talking about her husband is a pastor. He pastors the church. He reads the Bible. And I believe, but really don't know Jesus Christ. She got to know Christ for who? Herself. Everyone in this room, you got to be fully persuaded in your own mind, own heart, that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and that He died for you and that you received Him for the pardon of your sin. You have to know that for yourself, not just because Mama said it, Grandma said it, Grandpa said it, the preacher said it. you got to know it for you. You really have to know that for you. Not about pleasing somebody else because you said a prayer. 
That prayer has to be sincere before God. Not before man. Not before man. And Paul simply says, Boy, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. I'm convinced of the power of God. I'm convinced what God is able to do. Go to Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. Because those who were slain, they were convinced. They were fully persuaded. They knew what they believed and who they believed. And they were willing to suffer and to die and to go through whatever it was. For the name of Christ. I don't know if we have a church ready to do that today. In verse 20, he starts off and he says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief. Those souls under the altar, they didn't waver about unbelief. They weren't there at that moment questioning, Is Jesus Christ really who he say he is? Uh, uh, do I really know him? Uh, will he really keep his promises? Will he really rescue me? Will he deliver me? Will he bring me forth from the grave? Will he do the things that he said that he would do? They didn't waver through unbelief. They were able to stand firmly. Understanding, you can destroy the body, but absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. Understanding that, that this body is only temporal, and it's fading, it's dying. And knowing that man can do a lot of things to the body, but he can never touch the soul. And he says, boy, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God. How rich are you in the promises of God? How rich are you in the promises of God? A young, a young man ran up to me the other week and he simply said, Pastor, I got a B on my exam. And I said, you must have prayed your way through because God will help us through it. He's given us promises that He's an ever-present helper. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And when we need wisdom, even over a test, He'll give us wisdom in even taking a test. And He says there's nothing too hard for Him to do. And I believe I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Do you believe his promises? See, those people whose souls were under the altar believed his promises. They didn't waver in their unbelief. They were not double-minded individuals. But they were sure, very, very sure, confident of who Jesus Christ said he was. Very confident. And he says, the promise of God, but was strengthened in the faith and gave glory to God. Now catch 21, being fully persuaded that God had power. What are you persuaded of about God? David was persuaded that God would not leave his body where? In the grave. Job was persuaded and Job said, I'll see him with my own eyes. How persuaded are you that God is able to bring you forth from the grave? Yes, we'll throw dirt on the body and we'll say ashes to ashes. But the question is, will you be with God? Will you be with God? How confident are you of that? See, those who stood were very confident. That God was more than able. They were fully persuaded in mind and heart. No matter what took place here on earth. I'm going to see Jesus. Are you fully persuaded? 
Do you have such confidence in the one that you're believing in? Where are you truly in your thinking of Jesus Christ? With your faith in him. Is it anchored to him? Go to Colossians 4.12. He says, Ephorus, Ephorus, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Now I want you to look why he's wrestling in prayer. I want you to catch a good understanding of this. He says, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. That you may, what? Number one, stand firmly. Those souls under the altar stood firmly. How well do you stand? How well do you stand? Do you connive to get things or do you trust God to bring them to you? Do you have the ability to wait upon the Lord knowing that God will withhold no good thing from you if that's his desire for you to have it? Or do you go out and try to make your own way to get it? When you're working through a situation, are you trusting God to order your steps? Are you trusting God to give you wisdom? Are you asking God to teach you how to walk through this situation? You need to understand, God wants to establish you as a point of light. You are a shining star. But he cannot do that unless you trust him. And he says that you would stand Firmly, not backing down. If you got to walk it by yourself, if you got to pray by yourself, if you got to read by yourself, you got to sing by yourself, you do it because you're going to stand firmly. And he goes on, he says, in all the will of God, mature. And catch this laughing, and fully assured. How many of you are fully assured of the one you believe in? You're fully assured. You don't worry about it being Allah. You don't worry about being that it, it may be Buddha. You're not worried about that it may be something else and you're in the wrong religion and you're not quite sure if you're in the right thing following Christ. That somehow there's that doubt in your mind floating around. Maybe I need to tiptoe over here and practice a little of this. And I need to practice a little of this. And to really play it safe, I'll be like Oprah. I'll bring it all together. Put it all in one pot. I can't miss it. And remember, Paul went through a city, and they had images of all these different gods. And they even had one unknown, because they were making sure they didn't leave anybody out because of their ignorance. They even named it unknown. And Paul told them, I'm going to tell you about that unknown God that you have up there. What all are you mixing in with Jesus Christ? Trying to play safe. Or is it Jesus Christ only in your life? Are you following after him wholeheartedly? Or are you mixing him and even your own rationale and your own reasoning? Are you mixing him and a little bit of Buddhist? Are you mixing him and a little bit of atheism? Are you mixing him and a little bit of Harry Krishna? Are you missing him and a little bit of Hinduism? Are you miss? What are you mixing him in? Is Jesus Christ and him alone? No one else. These souls knew that it was Jesus Christ. They knew it wasn't the Antichrist. They knew it wasn't the prophet. They knew it wasn't the image that they were setting up. They knew that it was Jesus Christ and him alone and no other. He says, 
I'm praying that you stand, that you be mature, and that you be fully assured. I'm praying that this church be fully assured of who they believe in and who they labor for. For you don't labor for Pastor Brown. You don't labor for the elders. You don't labor for anyone else at this church other than Jesus Christ and him alone. Nor do you give homage, nor do you worship, nor do you bow down to anyone else but Jesus Christ and him alone. For you are called to reverence him, not Reverend Brown, but to reverence him, not Pastor Brown, but to reverence him and him alone. Remember the football coach? All he wanted to do was pray on the football field. But they say, can't pray out there. Only thing the woman wanted to do was do her job as clerk of court or whatever she was. But yet somebody said and said, you have to give license to these individuals. And she says, my faith won't allow me to do that. And she spends time in jail because of it. At what point are you willing to go to jail for Jesus Christ? At what point are you willing to take a stand? The slain chose to die than to worship the Antichrist. The slain chose to die rather than to worship the image or the false prophet or to believe what the false prophet was saying. They stood against the religion of the false prophets. There are some cities in America that are quickly changing to Islam. They have some of the largest mosques in Minnesota and now being built also in Atlanta and so forth. And even down in Texas. Now the churches are always being complained about their bells ringing in the morning. But the call to worship to Islam had no one spoken of or voiced one word against it. But yet it goes out into the neighborhood calling people to worship Allah. What are you standing against? Understand persecution. Persecution is a systematic mistreatment of an individual or a group based on their religious belief or lack of. We need to understand that. Persecution. Because it's happening more and more that people are being persecuted for what they believe. Now understand, Christianity also did the same thing, persecuting people who they called unbelievers or infidels or unspiritual. So this is not new as far as persecution itself. But the type of persecution and where this persecution is going to come from is going to be new because it comes through the Antichrist against those who will stand for the Lord. A person's belief system, and you have to understand why it's going to come. A person's belief system determines how he or she views themselves first. See, if I'm saved, if I'm truly saved, I understand this. I am a child of God. That's the very first thing to really get under task of who you are in Christ. Because if you don't get that clear of who you are in Christ, you'll act like everybody else and everything else other than Jesus Christ. But when you get it understood up here and down here, 
that you are a child of God being predestined and being shaped into the very form of Jesus Christ and his likeness. That makes a difference of how you behave, how you function, how you talk, your value system. It has an effect. Now understand this also now. When the Antichrist appears, he has to change your thinking. He has to change the way you live. He got to change your values. He got to change who you bow to. He got to change how you treat your neighbor. He, he got to change everything about Christianity that has an effect in your life. He has to do away with it in order for you to truly worship him. He has to retrain. He has to reteach. And those who are firmly committed to Jesus Christ, there's only one thing to do with them. Kill them. You ever want to see that happen in real life? Go and study any country where a dictator has set up. He has to destroy all who oppose him. He has to... Get rid of all who won't think like he thinks or the way he directs them to think. Study any dictator. If you want one to really study, study Hitler. (laughs) And you'll see it just jump out at you. And the Antichrist has to recreate your mind. He has to recreate you. But those who know the Lord Jesus Christ will stand firmly. For they know in whom they believe and they know what they believe in. One of the main reasons for persecution is to bring about reform. Reform means to form again. That's all it really means. To form again. Okay. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I I need to reform you. I'm not saying you can't believe, but you're going to believe in me. (laughs) I need to reform you. Not taking away your right to believe, because I understand you need to believe in something. You're going to worship that image. You're going to believe in that image. And you're going to believe the great prophet, the false prophet. So I'm not taking away your right to believe. I'm just telling you what you're going to believe. And there were those who said, no. For I have experienced and I know the one in whom I believe. And here's where I stand. Now it may cost me my life. It may cost me my home. It may cost me my family. It may cost things that are dear to me and and that I love and I treasure. But here's where I stand. Here's where I stand. Because to reform only means to form again. In 2014, over 165,000 Christians died because of their faith. And that number keeps going up year after year. And eventually, we're going to see more in America where you can't do this, you can't do that. Pastor Travis and I were sitting in the office discussing something, and our accountant called... And our accountant said, do you have any checks that have not been cashed? If you have any checks that you have written out for payroll that have not been given or cashed? And I said, why? He said, because the state has started a new law. You have to report all checks that have not been cashed or payroll checks that have not been given out. And I said, well, we got zero. Everything come in here, and you got a money mark on it. It's a check. It goes real quick to the bank. Hey, we don't have any, you know. 
And then she said, Pastor Brown, do you want me to file the paper? I said, what is it going to cost to file? She said, $35. I said, no. Because I know this rule also about the state. You may still be held responsible, but yet they cannot hold you responsible until they send you a written letter of the change of the law. And I have not received that written part yet. Now, it may be forthcoming, but it's there. Our 501, our 503 status, every four years, five years, we have to renew it with the state. But when we first started, I didn't have to have that paperwork. We filed one time, and that was it. Now the government is keeping a much closer, closer watch. So every five years, it costs $20, I got to refile. Hey. And we have a time period to do it. Many things are changing for that the Antichrist can easily check up on everything that's going on. Let's look at death for a few moments through the Paul through through Paul's eyes. Because these individuals had to have some knowledge of what Paul was also saying about death. Death is very fearful to us. But if we understand that Jesus Christ came to conquer death and to remove the fear of death. It makes it totally different. So go to Philippians. I want you to go to chapter 1, verses 20 through 25 with me. And I want you to really grasp what Paul is saying about death. Because John saw those souls under there. So they have died. They had suffered death. So when you get into verse 20 of Philippians 1, he says... I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. If you haven't underlined that word courage, underline it. And then make it a prayer for yourself. Lord, give me the courage to stand in these days. Give me the courage not to be ashamed of your word. Give me the courage, Lord, to trust you in my difficult moments of life. Give me courage, Lord, to believe that, Lord, you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Lord, give me the courage to understand you will give me water that will cause me to thirst no more. Lord, give me the courage to believe you can open doors that no man can open and shut doors that no man. Give me that courage, Lord. Give me the courage to simply believe your word as I read it. Because, Lord, sometimes your word don't make sense. Sometimes your word's not logical. Sometimes your word don't fit my situation. But, Lord, give me the courage to believe it and to stand on it. Give me that courage, Lord. Give me that courage. And Paul says, give me courage. And, and I just want to pause him on. Here, here's a person we think is a giant in the faith. Asking God to give him what? Courage. 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 And he said, boy, courage. I'm not ashamed. But I may have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. He wanted the courage for a reason. That Christ would be glorified. Do you ask for courage that you will be exalted or Christ will be exalted in your life? He goes on, he says, whether by life or by death. 
So Paul was always facing what? Death. Lord, give me courage to die for you, even in such a way that, Lord, you be glorified. That you be glorified. That you be seen. That people would not speak about Paul dying, but the Christ that they seen in Paul. And he goes on, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruit for labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose to do? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart. What is Paul saying? There is such a relationship. Between Paul and his Savior. That Paul says, my desire is to be with you. That's some relationship. That Paul would come and say, I desire, I want to be with you. But he understands God's will at that moment, too. That is more needful for him to be where? Right here. But look at that desire. Look at that longing. Look at that want to be with the Lord. See, a lot of us want to be with the Lord long we're with the Lord down here. They say everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody's in a rush. And that includes me too. If they was handing out tickets to heaven outside this door in the next hour, how many of you go that way to get a ticket rather than that way to stay here? That's why God's fixed it. You get your ticket at his time, not your time. Move on because the clock's getting at me. Persecution is that systematic mistreatment. And we need to understand that. And it's that personal belief part. John saw the souls of the slain. And when he saw them, he understood this also. It meant no more hunger for them. What was the place that we talked about earlier? People killing people. How many of you heard in the news about the man who was walking down the street, I forget which city, and just shooting people? Where was it? In Denver. Just going down the street, took his rifle, going down the street, just shooting people. Remember what scripture says? Men will kill men. We're seeing things that we've never seen, heard things we've never heard. But yet, at the same time, how many of us are getting immune to it? That it really doesn't mean anything. It's just another life gone. You know, after you hear so much on the news about certain things, it just becomes part of life and we what? We accept it. But if you really know what Scripture is saying, it opens your eyes to a little bit more truth. The intensity of things are rising. It said, there's no more challenge now about my faith. When he looked at those souls under the altar, no more challenge. I don't have to stand and defend what I believe. I don't have to worry about the Antichrist. Not. I don't have to worry about the false prophet challenging my beliefs. I don't have to worry about somebody trying to make me bow down to something I don't want to bow down to. No more torment. Mental torment. No more fear. Because now I'm in heaven. And no more laboring or witnessing. Two reasons for which they died. 
it says in Revelation 9 there it says because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained boy because of the word of God and the testimony that they maintained they were put to death they would not renounce Jesus Christ they would not renounce the word of God Now understand, during these days, there is no such thing as a secret Christian. And a lot of us struggle with that now. But if Christ is in you, there flows out of you a certain action also. And you cannot help it. But if Christ is not firmly established in you, and you really don't know the Lord, but you look religious on the outside, you know how to pray, and you know how to read, and you know all the Christian answers to the test, but you really don't know Him. Turn to Mark 4.17 with me. Mark 4.17 Because God is going to do his own separating. God is going to reveal himself. And, and, and you and I, we have to come to that place and we have to realize. He says, but since they have no root, nothing deep, all top surface junk. There's nothing down there for that when the problems really come and and the storms really come. That there's something to hold you together. There's something that, yes, the wind may come, you will bend, but you won't be blown away. But since they have no root, they last only how long? A short time. In other words, you can only pretend this for a short time. Young people hear me well. A lot of times we pretend because we're at home. We have to do what mom and dad say. So we pretend it. But once we step out from under the covering of home, our true self really shows. And Christ is nowhere in the picture. And a lot of our young people were saying, is leaving the church between that age of 16 to 24 because they themselves have never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They knew the answers because they've heard it, they've talked about it, but they've never received it in the heart themselves for themselves. And they are the ones who have to be persuaded in their own mind and in their own heart that Jesus Christ is their Savior. Not because they're being told, Christ is your Savior. Christ is your Lord. Christ is the one you ought to be praying to. Christ is the one in whom you ought to be reading about. Christ is the one you ought to be doing this. No, they believe it in here and it comes out through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells them. He says, it's only for a little while. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, what's going to take place there? Persecution comes. Because of the word. Because of what? The word. And it says they quickly fall away. They quickly fall away. And that is Paul. He's talking and debating. And because he's talking and debating about the word of God, it says they desire to kill him. They desire to kill him. To be put to death just for talking? 
to be put to death just because I disagree with somebody and I'm sharing truth with them? That people would want to kill me? Well, I tell you, you go to Saudi Arabia and you stand out on the corner and you debate and you talk and see what happens. You go to Iran and you talk and you debate and see what happens. You go some places in this world today and that is a reality. But it's going to become more and more of a reality. The gentleman where I take my cleaning to was sharing with me yesterday when I went to pick up some shirts. He said, Gus, you won't believe what happened to me. He said, I got this shirt and it talks about 9-11 and it talks about uh, some things about the Islam faith and so forth. And he said, I'm standing in Chase Bank. And this guy comes up to me and he says, F your shirt. This, 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 that. Just went on. And he said, you must be from the Far East. And the guy said, yes. And he said, I don't like what happened at 9-11. I don't like the beheading of people. I don't like. And then the guy did the wrong thing. The man pushed him. And he said, when he pushed me, I just automatically just hit him. And he said the security guard came over and grabbed him and held on to him. Then the manager of the bank came around and told him, you were the one that was wrong. You started it. You were very voiceful and everybody in the bank heard it. And in America, we have a right of freedom of speech, whether someone else doesn't like it or not. You had no right to put your hands on this man. I will give you all your money out of your account if you so desire. But you need to leave the bank. The security guard, after he walked him out, came back over to the guy. He said, you don't know who that was, do you? And the guy said, no. He said, he's one of the top surgeons in Akron, so you make sure he don't have the surgery on you. One of the top surgeons in Akron, an Arab guy, you know, make sure he don't do surgery on you. Remember, (laughs) you know, but but here again now is that offense and standing up for what you believe is to be right. The word says also then that we are to endure persecution. When you are willing to witness and share the word, you're going to have small persecution. But that's going to grow. That's going to grow. And the scripture says endure persecution. And then he says, I want you to go to Second Timothy with me. I'm trying to just jump some of these and you can look them up for yourself. But go to Second Timothy chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 because this is so important to hold to. It's so important to be able to understand this principle right here also. He says, he says remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended from David this is my gospel for which I am suffering what is he doing how many of you how many of us are suffering because of the gospel and our sharing of the gospel or are living out the gospel and he says I'm suffering even to the point of being what Chained. Chained. Now this is the part I want you to catch. Like a criminal. Because you believe in the word. And because you believe in Jesus Christ. 
And because you believe what the word says, you will be treated like a what? A criminal. Now, if you don't believe it, you go out here and you start teaching and sharing out here in the corner that you don't believe in gay rights and this and that and see if you won't be treated like a criminal. And he says, but God's word is not chained. That's the part I love. See, they may chain the body. But the word of God is not what? Chained. Imagine Paul brings that illustration in the whole thing with Acts, with the jailer. Yes, I'm in chains. But the word of God is not in chains. And that jailer and his whole household becomes what? Saved. Because you cannot chain the word of God. They may chain the body, but they can't chain the word of God. Understand that principle. Understanding there is a purpose in persecution also. I'm going to go real quick here. Matthew 10, 17 through 20. Because of persecution, the nations also learn. But go, go to Matthew 10. I better go to that one. Uh, because, see, oftentimes what we don't think is persecution will not come through family. And... It will. Um, He says, Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and flog you in their synagogue. Your friend could call because you're doing the wrong thing next door. But you call them a friend. Hey. Someone you hang out with. You're doing the wrong religious thing. And they call. And he says, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local council and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentile. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it is, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. There's a reason for it. That one of us may be able to stand before the Antichrist and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ died for my sins. Jesus Christ lives for me. And I know that absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And that I'll be able to witness maybe even to the false prophet. They may be able to be able to witness to people who are falling into the entrapment of that. If you hold your ground. And even in 16. Go to John 16. Because you need to think of the mentality. That is taking place. How do you think? Is it the A? Is it the ACLU? Or that their legal group who wants to always persecute. Because uh, you're praying on the field. Or you got the Ten Commandments out in a certain place. Understand something. They can't be everywhere. But somebody's calling them, saying, <laughs> you know, that John Scott's out there praying with them folks on public property on the football field. You know, uh, that, that, that clerk of court, she won't give me, somebody's calling them and informing them on these things that are taking place around the United States. Because they're not everywhere. They don't have eyes everywhere. So somebody's calling. Somebody's letting them know. But look at 16.2 because this is what the mentality is coming to. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to who? To God. They're offering a service to God. 
A lot of Christians may think that. My God is a God of peace. My God wouldn't cause disturbance. My God is a God of, that he don't cause confusion. And because you're standing up among these people and praying, you're causing confusion. I got to report you. I got a call on you. You're raising your children the way the biblical method says to raise them, but because you're following that little rule, spare not the rod and spoil the child, I got a call on you. And they will think. Think of the mentality now that Satan has to brainwash. What Satan has to do is to put it in the people's mind somehow. When they do that, they're serving God. When they report on you doing what is right, that they're serving God. And in Matthew 10, 21, it speaks about something that oftentimes we don't even think will ever take place because we think our children really do love us. And they do love us. But you need to understand something. Children will turn on you. We're seeing it more and more. We're seeing children kill parents. Remember the two boys down in Atlanta with affluent parents? What they did? Remember right here in Ohio, out in Finland, what the daughter did and her boyfriend? In 21, 10-21, he simply says, Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rebel against their parents. Brother will report brother. Father will report son or daughter. Daughter will report mom and dad. Satan will have his soul mixed up here in the mind and the heart. My dad and mom read that Bible. They don't read that translation you put out. That one where Jesus Christ is no longer mentioned. They don't read the one that is the official government stamp seal Bible we ought to be reading. They read that old King James thing. The only thing they got to do is just call and report you. We say, well, that will never happen. Look at what is taking place. More and more. Why is it that counselors in schools, one of the main questions that is asked of a child... What's happening in your home? What's happening in your home? Because most of us know a child will speak the truth. And one of the best ways of getting information of what's happening in your home is ask the child. Last point. The testimony. Your testimony is a declaration or statement to affirm what you believe. And more than that, your testimony is the evidence of your lifestyle. Would your testimony prove you to be a Christian without you opening your mouth? Just the way people read your life. Just what people see about you. Would they really be able to say, he's a Christian, she's a Christian? Just by the way that you perform and you act. And carry yourself. Would they be able to confirm and prove by the evidence without you ever saying a word. But your public life says you're a Christian. You're a Christian. 
a testimony, a declaration of statement to affirm one's belief. It's the evidence of your lifestyle, is proof, and it's your public display. Paul says you are our written epistles. Done what? Read by men. Real quick, Ephesians 5.2. Ephesians 5.2. Because what we need to understand is that, yes, it is my life. It is my behavior. It is how I live. Paul says, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When you have a fragrance in the air, can you smell it? See, when you step into a room, the fragrance of your Christianity should just permeate that room. And people don't have to act like dogs sniffing. But you just step in and there's a fragrance about your life that says you're a Christian. Philippians 4, 18 Again, look what the Lord is saying. He says, get down here with it. Boy, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrance offering an acceptable sacrifice. Now, Catch this picture. Here's Paul in prison. I want to find out where the other Christians are. And Paul's hurting. And I know the only folks that's going to help Paul out is going to be who? Other Christians. And I begin to help my Christian brother. And because I help my Christian brother, what does that say about me? And there's my life now demonstrated because it tells me first do good unto the household of who? Faith. And I see my brother in need and he needs my help. They're doing more to him than what they're doing to me. And I take action. But because I take action, I tell on myself. How many of us will be fearful to help one Another or to help a brother or sister. Because if you get involved, it brings you out as a Christian. Let's close out with John one twelve, Because this is where this group is at. Because he simply says... That we are children of God. If you act any other way. And you live any other way. Then you're not a child of God. You can't turn it on and turn it off. You can't put it on when you want to. And take it off when you want to. In John 1.12, he says it in this fashion. Yet to all who received him, those souls under the altar, because of the word of God and the testimony that they had, it proved, it was evident that they had received him. And that they lived for him. And that they died for him. He says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They knew who they were. They are the children of God. Do you know who you are? Have you believed to a place where you have received him? And you know, and you know, and you know that you are a child of God. That's your mama. Is that young lady right there your mama? Why isn't she? Where's your mama? No, that's not your mama. There's your mama. 
Come here. Now, I'm going to tell you something. And if you don't believe what I tell you, I'm going to knock you upside your head. Okay? There's your mama. There's your mama. Where's your mama? He knows that. Even though he's threatened and is told somebody else, he knows who his mom is. Do you know who your God is? Even though you might be threatened. Do you know who you believe? Do you know who has saved you? Do you know who has sanctified you? Do you know who has justified you? Do you know the one who gave his life for you? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Let's pray. Father, we live in a corrupt world right now where people, Lord, don't know what to believe. 